Spirit Radio Podcasts. Earlier on talking about students talking about smartphones and wanting them to be banned in school. And one thing that's for sure is when it comes to social media and how we interact online, it's something that is so changing and it's very interesting times, isn't it? And technology and new media. And one of the things that new media has the ability to do is, is to be an opinion former. And it is a really, really big part of how we interact um, with with different things, especially important issues. And the influence of social media has come into sharp focus with the decision by Google just two weeks out from polling day to ban ads in the upcoming abortion referendum. Our next guest has been working for decades in the print media and he's been observing the influence that social media has now in politics and elections on the line. To give us his thoughts, we've former Time magazine senior correspondent David Aikman. Good morning, David. How are you? Good morning, I'm well, thank you. Well, let's just talk about the kind of general thing of the internet and social media. Do you think it's changed how journalists get their information and, and opinions and things like that? No, I, I don't think most journalists get their views from social media. I think they have their views already before they even look at social media. But social media uh, posts and references and, of course, even ads can influence journalists as they can influence the general public. But, in fact, there was, I think the Broadcaster Authority of Ireland said that it was going to forego the, here that the previous 50-50 uh, rule on airtime for different or spokesmen of different uh, viewpoints on, uh, on the air. So that there's no longer a 50-50 rule, but there is some unspecified requirement of objectivity and fairness for the presenter. In terms of uh, the internet and what people can use it for, David, and just kind of doing their own research and all that sort of stuff, do you think it's led to a greater diversity of views and perspectives? Well, I think the internet and YouTube has at least made made a variety of different viewpoints available which were not available before. I mean, I think it's fascinating that... um, Views which uh, basically pit uh, truth and uh, truth and science advocates at universities, especially across North America, against the so-called social justice warriors. They have found that uh, YouTube is a much better vehicle for them to express their own viewpoint than classical. Um, air uh, broadcast uh, news sites, which tend to be very much, at least in the United States, and I suspect it's true on this side of the Atlantic, tend to be on the liberal side of the spectrum. So the, the availability of YouTube access to people of more conservative viewpoint has been a great advantage for conservatives that they didn't have previously. In terms of, and this is the discussion that was kind of brought up last week with Google saying they're going to ban ads, then it poses the question, how free should social media be? Well, of course, I mean, the whole issue uh, issue of banning ads brings up the whole issue, who is Google um, or who is Facebook to say which points of view they're allowed, that people are allowed to post on their website. I mean, Facebook has banned 
numbers of people from putting posts and ads on the website on grounds that are totally related to totally non-transparent viewpoints of the editors of Facebook. And most of those viewpoints tend to be on the liberal and progressive side of the equation. And then on YouTube, you have the phenomenon of demonetizing YouTube, uh, YouTube video posts, where the people who post the videos hitherto were receiving advertising revenue by having advertisements displayed on their particular YouTube site, and all of a sudden those advertisements are taken down. So there is a real horrible political censorship going on, mostly from the left wing, uh, in terms of both YouTube, which is owned by Google, and Facebook, which is owned by uh, Zuckerberg. In terms of then, that begs the question, David, how do you then police the internet and who should police it? Because, I mean, the Google story is, is, is an example of kind of a big companies self-policing based on their terms. Well, I, I mean, I think policing is only... Policing should not happen except in the case of somebody who does the equivalent on the internet of shouting fire in a crowded cinema. I mean, you're not allowed to do that for obvious reasons. If somebody shouts fire in a crowded cinema, there's panic as people stampede to get out uh, through the exit. And so there should be some kind of legal definition of what constitutes the internet equivalent of shouting fire. But it's a very difficult thing to define because um, when particularly this absolutely obnoxious term, hate speech, which is used by a number of supposedly democratic governments throughout the world to disqualify the expression of viewpoints that they're not happy with. And because enough people object, then it's defined as hate speech. This is totally obnoxious. And any kind of incipient expression of free speech is a very, very dangerous step to take in any politically democratic society. It's hard to quantify, David, but I mean, how much influence do you think uh, Google and YouTube and Facebook actually has in terms of influencing public opinion, especially on important matters like elections or referendums? Well, I don't think Google and Facebook have uh, much major influence on influencing um, uh, in sort of directing election results towards a particular person or against a particular person. But I think what they do have is the ability to silence viewpoints that they don't agree with. And here is where the real danger is. Who gives a private corporation the right to decide which viewpoints it doesn't like and it wants to suppress? This is absolutely insidious. Either there should be an elected authority to make these decisions, or they shouldn't be allowed. I mean, the censorship of political viewpoints by Facebook and Google is absolutely iniquitous. 
Do you think that, and I'm surprised actually with the story in the last few weeks, that there hasn't been that much of a backlash here. I'm surprised people aren't frustrated with this kind of control. I'm sorry. Um, sorry, could you repeat the question? I just said I'm surprised, or are you surprised? I, there hasn't seemed to have been much of a backlash around uh, Google banning advertisements and things like this. This Are, are people going to get frustrated? Well, no, there has actually been a major backlash, particularly in the United States, uh, because and Google has faced pushback from a lot of um, individuals and corporations for... Um, basically squeezing economically YouTube sites or YouTube uh, uh, accounts which they don't particularly appreciate going on. There's been a lot of backlash at the grass roots. But I'll just give you one example. Um, there is a conservative radio commentator, not at all an extremist or a right-winger. He's not pro-Nazi or anything like that. Thank you, Jewish. But he's a fellow called Dennis Prager, and he has a site called PragerU, which definitely has a conservative interpretation of recent historical events. Well, all of a sudden, YouTube, obviously Google acting through YouTube, started banning him from having any advertisements and therefore any revenue from his account. But his account was enormously popular. Lots of people visited it. And this is just another example of egregious left-wing control of the internet, of the airways. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, a, a scary prospect when you just think of that that level of control that can be where they can pick and choose um, you, who they like and who they don't like. You're absolutely right. It's very scary, and I, I mean, I, if it if it were from the right wing, it would be equally scary. I mean, if you have had a Nazi-oriented um, organization controlling uh, one of these internet outlets that banned people of Jewish background or of contrary views from having any presentations, that would be equally bad. So this is a very unpleasant tendency. And I think part of it is the laziness of journalists who don't really look into the viewpoints of people they're talking about and, you know, tend to succumb to the labeling of those viewpoints as hate speech, simply because a number of people disagree with it. David Aikman, thank you so much for joining us on the programme this morning for very interesting thoughts there just on who should police the internet and uh, censorship and things like that. On the way, we're going to be talking to the money doctor, John Lowe. Thanks for listening to our Spirit Radio podcast. Don't miss out. Subscribe today. Find out how at spiritradio.ie.